don't have a Bible, we invite you to look on a black Bible provided for you. Uh, we're going to be on page 1015 uh, towards the back of your Bible. Um, tonight's uh, an important night in the life of our church. We're going to be having our annual members meeting, um, so invite you to attend um, the meeting. If you are a member, uh, at 5 o'clock before the meeting, we are having a uh, a church-wide meal, so you can be a member or an attender um, and come and fellowship with us. Um, if you're not a member and you're thinking along those lines, that's the meal is a great time to be able to, um, to talk to individuals that are members of the church um, and just get to know more about our church. We are going to, I think the first weekend of April is our next Discover CBC class, and we would love to have you uh, be a part of that class. You can sign up at the kiosk um, and uh, plan for that um, the first weekend of April. Um, but we're going to be continuing our study in the book of First Peter. And we saw last week how we are to live as exiles, the beginning of of Paul's or of Peter's discussion concerning what it's like to live as exiles in this world. Um, we're going to pull up the chart again, and we're going to see basically how Peter has laid out his letter. Um, the first section, again, by way of review, deals with our gospel identity, what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. And of course, uh, Peter's going to carry out this theme throughout his whole letter. But he begins by showing us as Christians that we have been given a new identity. We've been birthed into a new family. We've been given a new set of, of ideals and a, a new purpose in life. So now his second section here in the book, he transitions to say, okay, if we are a part of a new family, we've been given a new identity because of the gospel how do we live in the midst of this world as Christians? You see, we, like God's people throughout history, we have been marked by a higher citizenship than what is listed on our birth certificate. We've been given a higher citizenship than what is listed on our passport, if you have one. The issue is that because of this greater citizenship that we have been given as citizens of God's kingdom, not simply the kingdoms of this earth, the result of this is that many times we're placed at odds with the kingdom of this world. How do we navigate through this? Uh, we, and another way of saying this is, as Christians, we don't quite fit in. It's like putting the, the proverbial phrase, a square peg through a round hole. In verses 11 and 12, last week that we looked at, Peter reminds us that we represent a greater country. In verse 11, he calls us sojourners and exiles. As sojourners and exiles, we're not to get caught up 
in the things that characterize this world that oppose God's will. We're to abstain from the passions of the flesh. Then we saw in verse 12 that we are to be seeking to give God glory through our conduct as representatives of a higher kingdom. The result of this is that even those that malign us because of our faith, that they may see our good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. You see, 2 Corinthians 5.20 says that we are ambassadors for Christ. And, and, and the Bible literally says God is making his appeal through us. You know, when you share your faith, God is literally appealing to an unbeliever through our message. Isn't that an awesome responsibility and privilege? God makes his appeal to a dying, unbelieving world through his people. And, P and Paul goes on and says, we implore you on behalf of Christ, this is our message, be reconciled to God. We are ambassadors representing a heavenly kingdom. As representatives, we are to be marked, we saw last week, by purity. Again, verse 12, we're to bring God glory so that on the last day, individuals that have come to Christ that were once unbelievers would also be able to glorify God along with us. But then in verses 13 to 17, where we're going to look at this morning, uh, Peter answers another question for us in explaining how we are to live as exiles in this world. You see, you could easily get the idea from verse 11 when we talk about the fact that we're sojourners and exiles, that we are to be kind of aloof to this world. That we're almost to be hermits and just say, well, you know what? I'm just going to have nothing to do with this world and I'm going to wait for God's kingdom to manifest itself on earth. And Peter doesn't say that that's the way that we are to live as exiles in this world. You see, we are called to represent him, but we are also in verses 13 to 17, we're going to see this morning, we are to submit to a greater king. We're representing a greater kingdom, and in representing that greater kingdom, we're submitting to the king of that kingdom. And that requires not hiding ourselves in this world, but it, re it requires of us to live as active examples in this world. So verses 13 to 17 is going to explain for us what submission to King Jesus looks like during our time of exile. And what Peter does here in verses 13 to 17 is he actually takes uh, common Roman household codes and he puts them in a Christian context and he says, Christians, here is how you are to live during your time of exile. That's what we're going to look at this morning, the fact that we, in our everyday living, are to live 
in submission to a greater king, and that submission to a greater king is going to affect the way we live in this world, the way we treat others in this world, the way we perceive the events of this world. Because as our key principle in this series states, we're going to put it on the overhead and read it together, we are called to faithful perseverance and mission in light of our identity as the people of God. We've been given a gospel identity, and that in turn has given us an identity as exiles and sojourners. So let's look at how we're to live. Let's pray. Lord, as we continue through the book of 1 Peter, Father, you have the words of eternal life. God, you have the words to enliven our souls. Lord, you have the words that are like water on dry ground that cause the plants to grow, that cause there to be fruitfulness. And Lord, I pray that the word of God would fall on our hearts. Lord, this morning there are hearts that have been in your word this week, that have been seeking you this week, Lord, I pray that this would add to the the fertile soil of those hearts. Lord, there's individuals here this morning that have have not been in your word this week. They've, They've not pursued you in relationship this week. And Lord, their hearts are dry. Lord, I pray that that the word of God would moisten that heart and would, would cause a further longing for your word. I pray, Lord, that you would do a work in that heart. And Lord, I pray this morning for the heart that may be like stone this morning, that has never opened themselves up to you. I pray, Lord, this morning that you would do a work in that heart, draw that heart to yourself. Lord, would you show us how to live day in and day out as an exile in this world, yet a spiritual representative? In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, as I've mentioned in verses 13 to 17, our text today, we are looking at the fact that we are called to submit to a greater king. In fact, verse 13, it says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. We're going to see, first of all, that we submit to a king, and verses 13 to 15 show us that submission is pleasing to God. In our culture, the word submission is often looked at as a dirty word, as a word of being enchained, of being limited, of having a loss of freedom. But yet that's not the way that Scripture describes this word 
to submit, or how it's worded in verse 13, to be subject. But we see that if we are to live as representatives of a greater kingdom like we saw last week, then that is going to require us to submit. And what we're going to see here in our text is that we are not simply submitting to earthly authorities. We are submitting to the king of that greater kingdom that we represent as we submit to these lesser kingdoms. You see, God calls us to submit. Now, there's a couple things we have to to realize as we think of submission because this marks off a key word that Peter's going to be addressing over the next uh, many verses. He gives the same command to submit in verse 18. He says, servants, be subject or submit to your masters. And then in chapter 3, verse 1, he says, Likewise, wives, be subject or submit to your own husbands. You see, submission is not just a, a, uh, an issue in one thing. It's not just in, uh, something that we do in a marriage relationship. It is not something we simply do in a workplace relationship. We are called in the entirety of our lives, to submit to one another. And God has given us responsibilities and roles in our various functions that require both men and women to submit. And here in the context of verse 13, Peter addresses our role as citizens, yes, of a greater country, but remembering we still live in this world. So are we just going to shun this world or are we going to actively live as model citizens in it? So here's what we we have to look at and remember when when it comes to submission. Number one, we have to look at our focus in submitting. Notice that verse 13 says, be subject for the Lord's sake. So what's our focus in submission? It's not blind allegiance. It's ultimately submission to the Lord. You see, we find elsewhere in the Bible that when God's commands are violated by earthly authorities, that we do not submit. In the, the, in the relationship of a servant, as we're going to look at next week, to a master, where the master is requiring evil actions, of course a servant is not to submit because our submission is ultimately to the Lord. If, if a husband, as we'll look at in chapter 3, if a, if, if a husband is, is, is telling the, his wife to, to, to go against the Lord then, of course, uh, that submission, it has to be nuanced. It's not just be a doormat and, and, and take a beating. But what we often forget, we go to the extreme examples and say, therefore, I should not submit. But what we forget is our submission is actually submitting to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. 
You see, our focus is not simply blind allegiance, but our focus is submitting to God. But I also want us to look at the scope of this submission. Who does Peter point out first that we are to submit to? To every human institution. So what Peter is talking about, first of all, is he's saying, you need to submit to those that rule you. Because you as Christians, just as Jeremiah told the Israelites when they were in exile in Babylon, don't just focus on getting out of Babylon. Seek the welfare of the city. Build homes. Prosper the city. Seek to do a work where God has put you. You know, so many times as Christians, uh, we can get so depressed listening to one another's talk. Well, the world's just getting worse and worse. Oh boy, if so-and-so gets elected, I don't know what we're going to do. Oh man, everything's going to fall apart in this country. This country's just going downhill fast. Boy, that's depressing. And you know, if we were, if we were living Simply for the ideals of this world and this country, yeah, we, we, we probably would just be down in the dumps. But there's something greater we're called to live for as a Christian. It doesn't matter. Like we talked about last week, if we have our independence as a nation or not, we're, to be do, we're called to do the same things we would do either way. To seek God's will, to seek the good of the land, no matter who's in charge, because we know ultimately it's Jesus that's in charge. So Peter reminds us, he reminds his readers back in the first century, they are to submit to every institution. And he gives two examples here. He says, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. This word emperor uh, also can be translated very generically as kings. In the context of the first century, uh, they had an emperor that would lead them. It's interesting because the church at this time in the first century, they were not going through full-blown physical persecution. What they were going through was social pressure. Sort of what we are beginning to feel even here uh, in the United States of America for living as a Christian and for holding biblical standards. You're starting to feel more and more of that social isolation and pressure. That's what these Christians were experiencing back when, when, when Peter gave this command. And it would have been very easy for these Christians to object to Peter and say, wait a minute, they're giving us a hard time for living for the Lord. So, why are you bringing this up? And you see Peter saying, no. Just like you had a citizenship before salvation, yes, you have a greater one now, but you still have one on earth. 
but the reason for conducting yourself truthfully and honestly and above reproach, it has now gone up because you're now representing this greater kingdom. They they were to submit to the emperor, but not simply the emperor, but probably what hit closer to home for them. Uh, uh, The emperor is supreme. He has the, the complete rule of the land. But verse 14 says, or to governors. Now, what's the role of governors? It says they're sent by him. In other words, the governors are appointed by the emperor to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Now, this is government in, in, in its ideal function. You reward the good, you punish the evil. Now, there is no human government that is perfect, is there? Many times, evil is exalted and good is demoted. But Paul, Peter gives the, the function of government here. It's interesting that, um, as one individual mentioned, that the role of emperor and governor was very similar uh, in our country to what we would, we would think of as the federal government, and then we have the state government. So the federal government can issue laws, and it will affect the state, but for the most part, the states are, are fairly independent in making their specific laws. This is where... The, uh, the rubber really met the road for these first century Christians because they were dealing with the governor in their territory. And he says that they are to submit to both. It's interesting that that word institution, uh, depending on your translation... Uh, you may have a different word for that. It's literally the word submit to every creation. And I think that the full implication, the full meaning of that word being used here is to remind Peter's readers, to remind us that every single governor, every single ruler, every emperor, every president, every ruler that we uh, that we think of, they have all been instituted by God. No one is above God. They are all creations of God. The emperor considered himself a God. And he exalted himself. And, and Peter's reminding Christians, you know what? It's ultimately God you're submitting to. Even when you feel that you are being wronged, you, Christian, have an obligation to submit. Is that our mentality today? Are we looking for ways to shortcut the laws of the land? I mean, even getting real practical on our taxes with the things we do, the things we don't do, you know what Romans 13.1 says? Paul's of the same perspective as Peter, although they're addressing it from different angles. Paul says this in Romans 13.1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. We should have that verse on the overhead, I believe. For there is no authority except from God, 
and those that exist have been instituted by God. So listen, the next time you talk critically about your authority, we'll talk about the workplace next week, the next time you talk critically about your boss, the next time you talk critically about your governor, the next time you talk critically about your president, whether that's a Republican or a Democrat, remember what this passage says. It is not our place to provide critical commentary in a non-constructive way on the lesser kingdom that we're currently living in. Now, we need to, to be clear where laws and ideals contradict biblical truth. I'm not saying we ignore that. But are we living in a, do, are we walking and living with a submissive spirit to our authority? See, you cannot agree but still have a submissive spirit. Got to be honest with you. Uh, we, we don't have cable, but we, uh, we occasionally go to uh, um, the free trials of the, the online cable um, and, and, and get that for as long as we have the free trial period. And I like looking through the different news stations, Fox, CNN, uh, MSNBC, all of those. You know, it, it, it's literally like you're watching different news on each of those channels. But you know, one of the things that is true of all of the channels is that none of them are approaching politics the way that the Bible describes here. Do any of them have that submissive spirit that the Bible describes? In fact, even on Fox News, I've noticed that there will be commercials for things like the Ark Museum. There will be talk about prayer and all of these things, and then they're just going back to bashing everything. And all of them are. But we need to be weary as Christians, how are we conducting ourselves as citizens, realizing that we represent a greater kingdom in our words, in our spirit, in our actions. You see, God cares about these things. God cares. You see, submission is pleasing to God. We see in verses 13 to 14 that God calls us to submit. Why does God call us to submit? Again, because it is pleasing to him, but not only does he call us to submit, but we see a second truth here in verse 15 that our actions always, always indicate allegiance. Now, I was in, in college in, in, in a counseling uh, class, uh, a pastoral counseling class or, or, or something like it. I was, I was uh, given the instruction that um, we should never use the words always or never because there's, there's always an exception. <laughs> I just used the, the word always. Now here, however, we find no exception. Actions always indicate allegiance. 
Listen, you can talk until you're blue in the face about certain things, but your actions will always undercut your words. Don't you find that true? We find it true in other people usually before we find it true in ourselves, right? Actions indicate allegiance. What does verse 15 says? For this is the will of God. What's the will of God? That by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So what Peter is saying here, what is the good? The will of God, what, if the will of God is for us to be doing good, in the context here, what is the good? The context here is submission. Submission in verses 13 to 17 in the context of our authority. And we can take this context of authority and we can even go further by application than, than uh, uh, citizenship authority. We can talk about kids. Are you showing the proper submission to your authority that God's given you in your home? Are you showing the proper submission that God has given you uh, or that God calls you to in the workplace? In, in all of these realms, because none of us are bosses to ourselves. You know the person that's a boss to themselves? It's the one that does not want to be employed, but is maybe living on the street, maybe collecting cans, Maybe doing something like that because they answer simply to themselves. All of us are called to answer to individuals. And this is God's will that we submit. You see, what Peter's talking about here is proper Christian living while in exile. Many times we, we confuse God's will. We make it complicated. So uh, the, the teenager or the younger person can say, you know, I just want to find God's will for my life. I mean, that never stops. In, in situations, we, we, we say, you know, I, I need to find God's will, even as adults. And did you know that the Bible never makes God's will complicated? For instance... Look at the, the mentions of God's will simply in the book of 1 Peter. If you look at chapter 3 and verse 17. It says, It is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. God's will is to be faithful regardless of the circumstances. That's black and white, God's will. Chapter 4, verse 2, live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but the will of God. What is the will of God? Everything that Peter has written up to this point in chapter 4, verse 3, to be faithful, to persevere for God. In chapter 4, verse 19, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Do you see a pattern here? 
There is an entrustment of one's life to God while doing good, while persevering amidst hardship. That is God's will for you. Now, there will be certain turns that that God will have you take uh, in decisions that you will have to make. But listen, here is God's will that you are seeking to be faithful to him, to put him before everything else, and to base all of your decisions in life in that priority of God first and what is going to further the work of God in my life and my witness for him. When we base our decisions on that, we can be assured of God's will. God's will is not something every three years that we try to reach out and grasp. God's will is to be something we're living 24-7. And Peter reminds these Christians of God's will. You see, what Peter is saying is that God's people are to be living God's way. And notice what the result of this would be. By doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. This sounds really familiar, doesn't it, to what we looked at last week in verse 12, uh, that keep your conduct among the Gentiles uh, honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation? You see, what Peter is saying is, by faithful living, faithful submission to the authorities that God has placed us under, faithful living while in exile will lead us to be the ideal citizens which just rulers would reward. Going back to what he says, the role of governors is to reward the good, to punish the wicked. Now, even if those rulers aren't just, God's people are to be model citizens in the area that they are sojourning in. And those who are contrary to the message of the gospel, those who are looking to find fault with a believer. Peter's saying, by living the way God would have you to live, you are going to put to silence their accusations. They may stir up issues and problems, but it's not going to stick. You see, the reward that God's people uh, live for is not to be simply be rewarded by an earthly ruler. It is to receive spiritual reward. This has been characteristic, again, of God's people all the way from Genesis. Living in submission even while being falsely accused. You think of a guy named Joseph. He gets sent into Egypt, a land that is not his own. He was sojourning in Egypt. He's faithfully serving Potiphar. He follows through on 
on God's law for, that, that, that he gave his people all the, uh, are, uh, proactively in, in Exodus. He, he's faithful. He's moral. He runs from temptation. And what happens? Does he get reward? Man, uh, Potiphar's wife lies about him, said he made advances to me, and he gets thrown in jail for 13 years. But he was faithful. He was submissive to foreign authority. How about Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? While they would not defile themselves, Daniel says, with the king's meat because it went against God's law. They were not ugly about it. They said, if it please you, could we just try this out for seven days? There was no, well, I ain't doing that. I'm going to make a stink and show my Christian testimony. It was a spirit of submission while following God's law. And what happened? God prospered them. How about the people of Judah? They were sent in exile to Babylon. And again, there were false prophets that were coming and saying, your release is soon. I'm speaking on behalf of the Lord, and he is going to release us very soon. And Jeremiah says, these guys are false prophets. Don't listen to them. You know what the word of the Lord says? Seek the welfare of the city. Pray to the Lord on behalf of the city. Build houses. Make your home there. Seek to prosper the city as long as God has us here. Yes, he's going to deliver us, but it's not right now. That's the way we have to be living this life. That we are seeking the good of those around us. We are even seeking the good of this community, not because this this world is our home, so to speak, but because we are being ambassadors of that greater kingdom. We don't know what 2020 holds. We elect a new president or keep the same president. We vote for different individuals in different branches of government and different spheres of authority. But one thing we do know is that we are to live as model citizens of the United States of America because we are citizens of the kingdom of God. And that requires a spirit of submissiveness, of gentleness, of peace and love. But secondly, before we close this morning and we go to the Lord in communion Submission here is highlighted not simply as pleasing to God, but submission is actually an evidence of the freedom of life that if we are God's children, we have been given. If we are in God's family, we have been given freedom of life, and therefore we can submit 
Now that goes totally contrary to culture. I mean, submission is bondage in the eyes of culture. But in the eyes of the gospel, because we are given freedom, we are free to submit. If you look very carefully at verse 16, Peter again commands his readers, live as people who are free. We are free servants of God. This is an unexpected description. I mean, especially uh, when you look at verse 18 and, and Peter's next going to address servants. Free? I'm not free, Peter. What are you talking about? No, he's speaking on a higher level level than circumstantial freedom. Did you know that this word free here that's used in the New Testament, it can be used of of social, political freedom. But it can also be used in the sense of spiritual freedom. And that's the sense that we find here. You see, the gospel was proclaimed to these Christians. Chapter 1, verse 25 tells us, The gospel was received and it brought about new birth in the the hearts and lives of of these Christians. Chapter 1, verse 23, chapter 2, verse 2 tells us they were ransomed from their pagan past by the blood of Christ. Chapter 1, verses 18 and 19 says, and now they live in a newfound sense of freedom that Roman citizenship or social acceptance or money could never give them. This is a higher freedom that Peter's talking about. And it's a higher freedom that Peter is talking about to us. We are free. It does not matter what circumstances may indicate. But here's the warning. We're to live as people who are free but we're not to be using our freedom as a cover-up for evil. Boy, are we tempted to do that every day. Isn't it tempted to say, well, that's my Christian liberty. Well, you know, there's a bunch of disagreements about that, but, you know, who cares if it kind of rubs something in the face of my fellow brother or sister in Christ? It's my freedom. Or can you imagine the thought process? Well, okay, I'm, a, I'm a spiritual exile in this earth. So why do I really need to listen to these earthly rulers? Man, I serve the king of kings. I'm not going to listen to that. There was all the temptation in the world back, back then and so today to use our freedom as a cover-up for evil to actually claim our newfound freedom in Christ, that we are no longer uh, have the chains of being entangled to sin and helpless. Jesus has forgiven us of our sins. He set us free to live for him. And then we go and we use that freedom to live for ourselves, to try to prosper our own selves. That's foolish. Yet it's present in all of our lives or else Peter would never have said it. 
You see, what happens is that there is a transfer of ownership that's taken place. Verse 16 says that we are free, warns us we're not to use our freedom as a cover-up for, for evil, but what are we to do with our freedom? Live as servants of God. And Peter's going to pick up that key word servants in verses 18 to 25, what it looks like to live as servants. You see, God did not free us so that we could be our own masters. God freed us from a terrible slave owner, sin and Satan, to free us to live under the goodness of a benevolent God and for him to be our master. Just like in the book of Exodus, God freed them from the tyranny of Pharaoh in Egypt in order to live under the benevolence, the holiness, the goodness of God. That is who we answer to. That is who we are a servant. So if we are going to live in freedom of life, as servants of God, what does that look like? And Peter answers it as we close in verse 17. He gives us four simple, quick commands. You see, realized freedom affects how we relate to those both outside and inside the Christian community. And here's what he says. This is what free, freedom of life in the family of God and as representatives to God outside of the family of God looks like. Verse 17, honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. There you have it. Honor everyone. In other words, what is he saying? Place others before yourself. Doesn't matter if that's in your home. Doesn't matter if that's, that's in the, the, the Christian community. Doesn't matter if that's at the workplace. Doesn't matter where it's at. We are called to honor others before ourselves. This, again, flew in the face of first century culture, just like it flies in the face of 21st century culture. The ideal for every Roman and Greek citizen was to seek one's own honor. And people competed for a sense of public honor. Uh, the first century culture was in a society of, either, of, of shame and honor, public. You wanted to look and be looked upon with honor in the public. If you were looked on with shame as an outcast, as a nothing, it brought great just a disrepute upon you, your family, those you were associated with. And what does Peter says? He says, don't be like, like the culture, seeking your own good to be honored. Seek to honor others. Listen, the only way we're going to do that is to realize that we have everything we need in Jesus Christ. He has saved us. He has given us a new identity. And that identity is what brings true honor, not the things of this world. Are you living that way today? He says, love the brotherhood. 
He's already talked in chapter 1, verse 22, about the bond of love that God's people are to have with one another. It's to be a sincere, brotherly love. We're to love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Can I ask you when the last time you purposefully showed love to the brotherhood, to the sisterhood in this church body? When is the last time you made a phone call to someone to see how they're doing, to pray with them, to go out of your way, to give a gift, to reach out to a younger Christian in this church, to take them under your wing and say, let's get together. I'd love to talk with you with how you're doing. I'd love to, to, to be able to mentor you, to disciple you. That's what loving the brotherhood looks like. It, loving the brotherhood is not a concept, it's an action. When's the last time you've done that for somebody sitting in this room? That's what Peter's talking about is freedom of life. That's what God saved us to. And then thirdly, to fear God. They're to live, in other words, mindful that they belong to God. That The readers, as Peter writes, we also are called to live mindful that we belong to God. Chapter 1, verse 17 says this very thing. Do we fear man more than we fear God? And then fourthly, honor the emperor. It's interesting if you note command one and command four here in, in verse 17, they both are dealing with honor. One is broad, honor everyone. The last command is very narrow, honor the emperor. And I just want to bring one thing to your attention. You know what this is, uh, what, what this is really saying? The emperor who, who was put on such a pedestal was looked at as a god. Peter's simply saying, you know what? He's a part of the everyone. You ultimately, Christians, serve one king. The Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. And we honor our rulers realizing that they are a part of the everyone that we are to honor. Are you doing that this morning? So as we conclude this morning, I just want to ask you a couple quick questions. Who is your authority? Is it yourself? Is it God? Are your actions backing that up? Secondly, where do you view your citizenship? Thirdly, if you're called as a servant of God, are you truly serving him? Or are you serving yourself? Because once again, we see our main theme of this entire book. Let's read it again one last time today. We are called to faithful perseverance and mission in light of our identity as the people of God. Let's pray.